I'm Leonard Nimoy. Join me for In Search of... An Artemis! Welcome to In Search of an Argument. I am Jim Gentilly. I am in Silver Spring, Maryland. My friend John Heinz is in Chicago, Illinois, and we are delighted to be the guest hosts of the new queens of podcasting, Princess Peggy Bennett in Grand Rapids, Michigan, (laughs) and Dame Shelley Cummings in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's such an honor that they're willing to share a microphone with us. And it's also a great honor that we have a fabulous returning guest this week. She's been with us before. She is fantastic. She's one of our all-time best guests. Noted filmmaker and author from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Nikki Brakesilla. Welcome again to the podcast, Nikki. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad that the moniker has been changed from Vagina Chicks. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Good job, Peggy. Yeah, we got some blowback about We're that. working. It's always a yeah. process of evolution here. Global blowback. I got made fun of from a friend in rural China about that. I'm pretty that, sure so. the reason we are doing this nice. podcast is so that you can be made fun of by people all over the world, John. <laughs> we will start with Top of Mind, our opening segment. Nikki Brakesilla, what is on the top of your mind? Dun, dun, dun. On the top of my mind is I am writing a full-length play about Black women and the suffrage movement. And I'm sitting here and I've done all this research. And each act is a different point in history. And it's pretty depressing because the more things change, the more they stay the same. And the whole theme of it is the you know, the importance of women in society, particularly women of color and Breonna Taylor's killers are still out there. So that's at the top of my mind, how I'm writing about these heavy things that happened hundreds of years ago and they're still happening. That's all. Oh, yeah. I don't sleep well. (laughs) Peg, what's on the top of your mind? Top of my mind is that I'm tired and I wish I were still sleeping, but I'm happy to hear all your. And maybe voices. you could turn your gain up a little bit. Oh, would that help? Uh, she's she's thinking of keeping the gain low. She'll be able to doze off at different. Yeah, parts she's like dozing off. So yeah, I just came back from a fun trip that was busy and decadent, and uh, so a fun trip to to Beaver Island, Michigan, and so I guess what's is on the top the of UP? my mind is. All the stuff I have to do today. No, it's not the UP. You know where Charlevoix is, correct? John, you've been there. Yep, that's the Cherry Town. Oh, no, that's Traverse City. Yes. No, they have that cherry store. They have a store with like cherry products. Oh, sure. Everywhere has a cherry cherry store. Most of Michigan. Oh, Oh. yeah. (laughs) Shelly, what's on the top of your mind? (laughs) Hopefully it's not cherries, but go ahead. If it is, it is. But it did. It did make my mouth water because I love Michigan cherries. Um, I am, what's the top of my mind is dog watching. I'm watching a friend's dog, Dixie, and I'm totally in love with her. And I'm thinking of telling them that she ran away and keeping her forever. <laughs> Shelly, as an attorney, it's my advice that you do not tell the public about crimes you intend to commit before you commit them. I'm not but going to do that. Time. I couldn't do that, but ugh, right. she's so adorable. John Heinz, what's on the top of your mind? Well, I woke up to this. So because that's what I wake up to every morning. That's my alarm. The first the first four drum beats of Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. And I'm sorry that Peter Green died. Yeah, Peter Green died. I was sorry. I was sad about oh, that. I didn't catch that. Super all sad. I the original <laughs> members just of Fleetwood like, Mac. Regis Philbin died right? too. Wasn't he, Jim? 
one of the yeah. original members. Uh, yes. Yeah, Regis Philbin. Indeed. Many, many, uh, well, it's been a hard year, 2020, in a lot of respects. Okay, top of my mind is that I listened to the last podcast and I made two errors in that podcast that are really bothering me. The first is when I was converting Celsius to Fahrenheit, I made an error. I said that 42 degrees uh, Celsius was 107.8 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's actually 107.6 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's been bothering me. And the other (laughs) thing is when I went into this long thing about a uh, terrific book I read about uh, written by a woman that I debated against in high school. I neglected to mention the name of the author. It's Eileen Pollock, Professor Eileen Pollock. She teaches at the University of Michigan, and it's a great book, The Only Woman in the Room. But those are two errors that have been bothering me at the top of my mind. And so now... How many of our audience members were, were just outraged by those errors? I, I knew the Celsius was wrong, but... I see. See, Nikki knew it was wrong. So don't you think it's better that if you know you made a mistake without even being called on it, that you, you I know, think that if people come to this you... podcast for hard facts, then they're in the wrong place. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I get your point. I get your point, Nikki. <laughs> you but know, I, that's my favorite I actually thing do about try it. to bring an occasional hard fact to the podcast. Probably that point two probably difference foolishly. in that Celsius okay. to Fahrenheit the made a big difference. The point is, I made a mistake, and I didn't. I was bothering me that I had made a mistake. No, it's fine. Um, it's okay. It's okay to be bothered by it. I, I actually just find from Celsius to Fahrenheit, after having lived in Europe for a while and lived in the U.S., I kind of have a sense of what the different degrees are in like Celsius, and I have a sense of what they are in Fahrenheit. But I like I never do the hard translation. But for me, it's like twenty one in Celsius. Like, oh, it's a nice day. Like, it's like seventy something, right? I don't know. But like, I can like I know what the number. I know it like almost in a like a, a gestalt cultural sense, not a hard number sense. So I find it fascinating that you're like that. I don't know. I, I've never I, I don't think just, I've ever done the math. I can just do math in my head fast. That's all. Yeah, it's I know. It's kind of fun. I, no, it's something I envy. Well, you know, it's good for parlor tricks sometimes. So when you're at, at the, can I talk about Celsius a second? So at the University of Chicago, they uh, at my first job, my first nursing job was in Celsius and kilograms. So that was new. And so I always think about what 98.6 is 38.2, I think. Because you're temp- taking someone's temperature. Yeah. So all I if I hear 40, uh, I know it's hot. Yep. 40 right. is hot Celsius. Yeah. Right. So I don't do the math either, but I use that as my Yeah. It's benchmark. like it's almost like those numbers become cultural institutions of their own it's your baseline yeah yeah it's fascinating. so by now i'm sure many of our listeners are <laughs> settling in for a riveting podcast focused entirely on celsius versus fahrenheit but sorry to disappoint you we're gonna, we're gonna today, pick an entirely different pedantic topic <laughs> we're gonna talk about science fiction and i would like to start with one question for our esteemed guest nikki and i'm going to paraphrase a question that William, in the movie Almost Famous, asked Russell, the great rock star. And the question is, I'm going to substitute, but what do you love about science fiction, Nick? Oh, all of it. 
All of it. That's exactly what Russell said when when he asked him, (laughs) what do you love about music? He said, he didn't exactly, what he said is, to begin with, everything. So all of it's pretty good. I'll take that. Tell us about it. All of it. It's just, it's one of those things where you completely lose yourself and then you can find traces of like tethers to the real world and see where Mm. like one little thing can take you off onto this tangent. I think there's like the, the real world is deep. That sounds right. Deep. <laughs> like, sounds I think of the twilight zone episode crazy. about the, like what's deemed beautiful. Like that episode has always stuck with me because it's based on like, you know, aspects of beauty and who gets to be decided what's beautiful. And this summarize the episode. I don't remember it. It's called <gasps> the episode is called the eye of the beholder. Thank you. And it is the, the plot summary is as follows. There is, you never see any of the faces of the people, everything is in shadows. And a woman has had surgery to correct what everybody hints at or says is a deformity of her face and the entire episode is wa- essentially waiting to see if the surgery worked. And uh, the reveal is, to spoil it for everyone who hasn't seen it, is at the end of the surgery, when they take the bandages off, everybody reacts in horror because the surgery has failed. And when you see her, you realize she looks perfectly normal, even beautiful, and that all the other people have what would be considered horribly deformed faces. Mm. And I love that. Because, it's a great episode. One of the yeah, classics. It's like, you know, tethered to reality, like who beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And whoever is the majority, they're the ones that get to deem what's beautiful. So stuff like that. I always am looking like I love puzzles. I love questions. And I love that science fiction can go through like I'm if I had a super fire or if I like the scientific you know, thing that I'd be excited about is time travel. Like that's always been like my big one and travelers, which is, you know, a TV show that I thought was incredibly well done and very underrated. It kind of jumped the shark the second season, but you know, it was a really good concept. And so that's always been one that what's that about? Oh, it's what's his name. I'm bad with names now. That's okay. Just generally no this sleep. idea. But What's the, the guy from Will and Grace. So everyone is Eric, like crazy. Eric McCormick. Thank you. He's mm-hmm. in it. And people's consciousness are brought back into bodies oh. in present time right before these people are like at the point of death. So they wow. take over these people's lives in order to fix a catastrophe. Shocker. The Earth's about to be destroyed because <laughs> humans. <laughs> of course. And so they're trying to fix it. And there are all these travelers that are on the Earth and no one knows who they are, and, except they don't even know about each other because everyone's on these different planes in order to try to save the world. And then people, people the travelers fall in love with their new lives and everything gets super messy. And then the original traveler... Like, so I don't want to give it away, but yeah, I got it. That's okay. Just, I wanted a yeah. two sentence teaser. Like what? Okay. I get it. Now. I get it. So why? So it's underrated because it's underrated because it's a really, I thought it did a really great job in studying the human condition mm. and dealing with gender and power dynamics because you weren't 
necessarily put into the ethnicity or the sex that you were in your conscious life. And so just seeing people readjust to that, um, that was another thing that I really enjoyed about Altered Carbon. So yeah, I really like shows that kind of like turn things... Have y'all seen? Okay, yeah, I have a question. I've seen, I, I saw one episode. It's a future where there's a. It's like a. It's like a future detective story. Uh, no. Am I thinking of the wrong one? Kind of. It is kind of a future detective story. I, think I saw one episode of it on Netflix, and then I just got distracted. It's it's phenomenal. Who here okay. is a sci-fi person? I should ask that question before well, I go off on my I, tangents. I want to talk about like, that. I want to talk about that. I mean, I, I'm not like a sci-fi like slave, but I'm I'm I love sci-fi for what it does. But I also can be very critical of bad sci-fi. Like if you like, I probably withhold my worst criticism of art of any type of art for bad science fiction, whether it's in writing or or in uh in 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 and more frequently today, especially I find in video because it's just i just feel like there's so much room to like go that's stupid that would never happen and i frequently find myself at that limit where i'm just like this is implausible and stupid and boring i'm not interested in the characters the plot the settings this person had an idea for like one thing that's different about a future and they're trying to build all the other stuff about it and they haven't given it nearly enough thought or play you know or or thought it through so i'm so i really love sci-fi but i'm also really critical i don't know i don't know if you guys are the same What's your definition of a bad sci-fi? Because well, yeah, world building yeah, that's is key. It. But I mean, like for one, like one that like really you're just like, ugh. Like I have one that some people are going to think is blasphemous. I hated 2001. I hated it. Right. Okay. That is blasphemous. So that's exactly, that's exactly where I was going to go. Where I was going to go, I was going to say the thing that I love about sci-fi is I love Slaughterhouse Five. I love 1984. I love Fahrenheit 451. I love E.M. Forster's The Machine Stops. I like classic literature that's also sci-fi because it's, it's, it's held up to, it's held up the test with, you know, with being, uh, not only being a science fiction, you know, in the genre, but it also meets all my other criteria for good literature. And that's, it's gotta be, it's like, you don't get a pass on being good writing because, you know, because you're doing sci-fi. So that's where it's like, if it's, if it's, if it's weak dialogue, weak characterization, and, and, you know, in, in the case of film, if it's bad cinematography, if it's, you know, poor editing, whatever it is, I'm, I just, I get drawn out very quickly and I'm like, oh, I'm not in this world anymore. I've got, I don't, I don't buy it. Can we so can we take I, a I'm step critical. back for a second and define sci-fi versus fantasy? Because I feel like I get them confused. Well, for for me, like I just got through watching modern take on the King Arthur fantasy, which I've always been into. For me, fantasy is anything that is fae. Fairies, stop it! Stop it! <laughs> That's your love. This, this is the all right, Nikki. Go for it. You're on your own on this one. You gotta build this up. <laughs> so, Faye, you know, sprites, wood nymphs, witches. Don't okay. laugh. I have all fantasy Wait, science okay, fiction. So that means that vampires um, then. So what's your anchor text for fantasy? What's your anchor text? So so Lord of the Rings is Oh yeah. Is there magic? Lord of the Rings is is Lord of the Rings is absolutely fantasy. But Uh, would so like Star Wars be sci-fi? Yeah, Star Wars is sci-fi. Okay. Even though they have Ewoks. Oh, but they're cute. I'm with, yeah, I'm with Nikki on this. Like, that's my dividing line. My dividing line is kind of fantasy is more magic, science fiction is more 
not magic, like plausible future based on science, some kind of scientific advancement. Like that's kind of my big dividing line if I were going to do it. So yes, you're going to, when you get elves or wood nymphs or like just magicians, dragons, you're, all, you're, oh you're God, dragons, dragons, you're in fantasy, you're in fantasy, you're not in sci-fi. But so if you've got like so technology, it's a no brainer. You're in science fiction. So Hunger Games would be sci-fi. Yep. And for then, me. but why they have those like big, they have those big uh, bees that kill you. That's like a fairy. I know. That's why I, was, I struggle with some that's, of this. That seems fantasy. I did read Hunger Games when it first came out. It's been a long time. I don't remember. I don't remember that. But I remember feeling like it was a it was a, a future world, future. That, yeah. a dystopian future that could actually happen without changing the rules of physics. Like you know, there like these things could happen. Like animals could evolve to this level. I don't know. Whatever. I remember just, like it was a could, feeling. I might yeah. be missing it, but that was my feeling. Okay, that helps. At least following Nikki's definition. <laughs> <laughs> Are there angels? And then there's a the whole like exactly angel lore. another one angels, oh, which I'm also big into angels and demons. Yep. So that's all fantasy. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess I don't know. It depends. Then you get into so, the whole like, what do you believe? And then that's a whole nother thing. Like some people don't believe in angels, so they would consider it fantasy. I so do I find in this angels, interesting. So I, I was. Do not I was Nikki. I was looking up to try to talk to you about this. I was looking up quotes about from different people about sci-fi and fantasy, and this is a J.K. Rowling quote, which I found fascinating. She said, "I don't read chiclet fantasy or science fiction, but I'll give any book a chance if it's lying there and I have half an hour to kill." This is J.K. Rowling saying this. Yeah, she's a turf though. So I exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's she a turd? Is that what you call What's a turf? That's a new one. What's that? Oh, she's she's super super um and anti-trans. Oh. Yeah, did you guys hear about this quote? She oh. got into this big argument about that. Yeah, it's, like it has quit to saying, be. Yeah, cisgendered, you know, person with a vagina. I just call that person a woman. Stop calling them something else. Isn't that that was the tweet? Oh. I think. And then she like doubled down. Like yeah, and Double. then people pushed back, and she was like, "No, I'm no. right. They're women. <laughs> Quit being tr the trans movement stupid." I mean, in that, oh. I'm, now I'm really paraphrasing, but that's pretty <laughs> much what she said. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> yes. Yeah, which is you know, I love myself some Harry Potter. I do. It's yeah, basically I mean, 2020 is, is like fantasy. the year of kill your like 2020. Actually, I'd say like from 20, I don't know, 17, 18 is when like kill all your darlings <laughs> like i heard jim grunt in the background jim what what prompted the sigh i'm sorry i did not mean to grunt in the background <laughs> well that i thought the sigh was relevant grunt. i thought it was an I editorial sigh it's probably just it's probably just old age you know creeping up on <laughs> or creeping is the wrong word advancing rapidly is the right well word. what does i don't get what jk no no JK i, I means. seriously was not reacting to anything anybody said oh, okay. so it, it was involuntary and <laughs> well, so I'm, I, looking, I I'm trying to am understand. reacting on some deeper subconscious level but since uh since i've never really found a therapist that made me happy <laughs> i'm never gonna find out why so. <laughs> i was explaining to one of my children that I can explain in one sentence why I need therapy and why it's never really worked for me. And okay, that let's is, hear it. I've never met a therapist that I thought was smarter than me. Ah, that's the standard. And, you know, that's obviously the problem and the problem right there. So, <laughs> I don't All think right, therapists have to, to be smarter now. than you. 
you have Jim, to be well, Jim, open let me, to no, it. I, I mean, I, let me put it this way. Let me take that back. Let me amend that statement so that I don't have to do top of mind and explain <laughs> it next week. Um, <laughs> I, have met a, I have met several therapists that were smarter than me. Unfortunately, because I met them outside of therapy, they could not actually be my therapist. So the people I've gone to for therapy – I'm sure Jim, everyone is any, fascinated by this. Jim, if you could pick any fictional character, sci-fi or otherwise, to be your therapist, who would it be in the history of all characters? A wow, fictional that's a, that's character? I love that question. To be my therapist. So even if it's not a therapist. Yeah, Obi-Wan. anybody. Mm-hmm. Anybody Obi-Wan. who, who you think would be a damn good therapist, your best therapist, fictional character, any fictional pick, character ever. Um, who would I pick? Hal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Come back to me. Let me think about that. One. All right, we'll come That's back to you. That's a great all right, question, all right. Heights. Well, I just don't. So I don't. So I just thought J.K. Rowling's quote was really messed with our heads because if she ain't writing, if she if she doesn't read fantasy, what does she think she's writing? Oh, she was writing question. Yeah, she was writing stories to you know put her kids down. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean. I, I've I've never I mean I'm not I don't dislike Harry Potter. I found the writing a little simplistic. I do think the stories are I mean at this point it's a cultural force, right? I get that. But it's I mean there's no in no world could it not be fantasy. Oh, it's absolutely fantasy. But I thought she kind of is tearing down I thought she was kind of attacking her own writing when she said that quote. I was I thought it was odd. Yeah, I was about to say something, but I was like, I'm not defending JK Rowling. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <I was> like, <laughs> well, that's why I'm yeah, going I'm for like, it. Mm, you know. <laughs> All right, so everybody's let's just go around quickly. Everybody's favorite sci-fi. They're like the the sci-fi or maybe a a, a quick spouted list best sci-fi. Go, Nikki, you're first. <sighs> Octavia Butler, any and everything. Okay. NK Jemison, any and everything, but most particularly the Broken Earth series, Kim Stanley Robinson, The Years of Rice and Salt. I'm trying to think of the stuff that I like come back to all the time. Okay, that's that's just like are a, all of those are are all of those series? Those are all multiple yes. books. Well, the Years of Rice and Salt is a standalone. Okay, but yeah, they're I like love hard and fast. So I like I don't want you to end yeah. it for me. Yeah, exactly. Got are it. we talking just books it. or movies? Also, oh, anything, oh, anything. God, if okay. we go to movies, then that's a whole nother anything. Books, movies, anything. I watch Lord Can of the I Rings go? so much that I almost know every single word and all of it. And it gives me chills. But that's not sci-fi. That's fantasy, right? Yeah, that's fantasy. So sci-fi. That's oh, fun. my God. Freaking Dune. Hello. Dune. <laughs> see, see, I think Dune, Dune is, is fantasy. Dune is not fantasy. Okay. Dune is okay, science right. fiction. I mean, David Bowie's character is Did you fae. read the book? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I did. I did a million years ago, but I don't remember. I mean, you're going to be hard pressed to argue. I hate to. I hate to be. But let me make a suggestion I think would help the conversation, which is a lot of these things, perhaps most of the things people are referring to come in both a book version and a movie version and maybe also a TV version. So it's probably best if you clarify, because when when Nikki said Dune, I thought she was referring to the book. And I think, John, you're clearly referring to the movie. And I've never read the book. I've seen the movie. And I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that a lot of people who are fans of the book did not care for the movie, which I think is also a common thing in science fiction from what I understand. So I think that a lot of this depends on which version which you're talking PDM. about. That's just my observation. True. 
I loved it all. Okay. I saw the movie first and then I read the book like four times. And I also love David Lynch. So yeah, ah, hard and fast. And is that sci-fi to you or is that fantasy? Dune? Dune was absolutely science fiction for me. No, 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 no. Oh, I thought you said, I'm sorry. David who did Lynch. You say? Did you say David, David Lynch? Lynch directed David, Dune. Oh, David Lynch. I guess I didn't realize yes. that. Oh, okay. So is Twin Peaks fantasy or sci-fi? Oh, Twin Peaks is supernatural. So it's, it's neither. neither. It's a whole nother genre. What's Mad Max? Mad okay. Max is sci-fi. Dystopian. I figure anything that's dystopian future is science fiction. I really like that second Mad Max movie with the, not the second one, but the recent one with Charlize Theron. I haven't Theron. seen I it yet. That was fun. It is good. It is really violent. That doesn't bother me mm-hmm. depending on how the violence is used. Like if it's gratuitous, just for, you know, just for the sake of, like, I don't like movies that use rape as a vehicle to propel the story. It's weak, it's lame, and it's wholly unsatisfying. And normally there are, you know, I'm going to make a huge generalization here. I apologize if you guys get lots of letters from your 12 readers, but normally a vehicle typically <laughs> used by men. So that's a hard stop for me. Ah, Good right? point. Oh, I can't think of a way to change and move the story along. Let's just rape her. That'll work. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even in the movie Witness. Oh, yeah. But that was based on a true story, right? Or The I Accused. So. Yeah, both Jim of them. I think this. they're both based on. First movie, uh, the, uh, the Accused was yeah. based on a true story. What was the first Witness? movie? The wit- Witness. With Lucas Haas and Harrison Ford. Yeah, that and... was not based on a true story. As far that as wasn't at all? Oh, I don't okay. think Susan so. Susan Sarandon. Was it Susan Sarandon with the Amish? No, Kelly McGillis. No, it was like Kelly McGillis. Yeah, Kelly McGillis. Get raped. From Top Who got Gun. raped in real life, right? Oh, I didn't know that. I, I don't know. I haven't seen what. Uh, so I really like Doctor Who starring David Tennant. <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, that's sci-fi, sure right? It is. Oh, for sure. for sure, unquestionably. For sure, you like the you list like David Tennant. <laughs> no, anything in David Tennant. <laughs> it's true, but I also liked the first the first Doctor Who that I watched with uh, Eccleston. Yes. What about Tom I Baker? That one was good too. The original. I don't. I didn't watch that I one. I grew up on him. Peggy came to Doctor Who late because yep, of Tennant. Very late in life. <laughs> No, because of Mary Heinz got me introduced. It wasn't. I didn't even know who David <gasps> Tennant was before oh that. Goodness. Oh my goodness! Yep. So there's my. Is that sci-fi. your whole list, Peg? Yeah. Is that no. Your whole well, list, I like Peg? Star Wars, and I like The Empire Strikes Back, and I like the movie Super <laughs> Eight and Alien and Aliens. Is that sci-fi or is that horror? That's sci-fi horror. It's sci-fi horror, but I don't think it's not. I liked it, so it can't be horror. <laughs> so it has to be airing on if to the extent that there's a t- that there's that a definition. weight that there's a, a yeah that there's a a, a a seesaw here and we're on the side of either sci-fi or horror we're on the side of sci-fi because i was more sci-fied into it than horrified by it because i don't like i like the all. movie the recent movie with matt damon where he is it matt damon elysian is that what it's called yes elysian yeah Elysian, yep. Yep. and I and I really like that one that took place in South <gasps> Africa district with eight. the thing hanging mm-hmm. over. Yeah, District Eight really disturbs oh, me. Good. So I guess I like some so, sci-fi. I like so the those sequel are borderline to... horror-y. I mean, there's I mean not Elysian, but District Eight was a little scary, no. right? Yeah, with those crazy really? creatures. No. 
I didn't think because I, I hate it wasn't I don't remember and I it. love District 8 I hate horror too yeah I love District 8 too I did like it so you're right it must be on the side of of, of uh so is is E.T. About, sci-fi Super 8, then Super 8 was Super scary 8 wasn't was it? scary <laughs> no it was just tense. It was tense yeah it was tense I jumped oh it was sweet so would you call it a thriller a sci-fi thriller I guess so May is I E.T. Ask considered sci-fi yeah may I ask a question Along the similar lines of Peggy's question. What about Stranger Things? Where does that fit? I haven't watched it yet. No spoilers. Comedy. <laughs> John, you've seen it, though. Yeah, I've seen it. It has of them. some sci-fi. Yeah, it's like Super yeah, 8. Yeah, of course it has some sci-fi. To me, it's like it's Super 8. But also some elements of horror, no? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it plays with the elements of horror the way Scary Movie plays with the elements of horror. Oh, almost. Okay. Not quite as buffoon-like. Not quite but it plays the way Scary with Movie plays. It's not a broad right. no. satire. satire. What about Lost? With the black smoke. That's just a thriller. And that's I think that's sci-fi. a thriller that turns into sci-fi or buffoonery. Right? Because, I mean, the first <laughs> how many seasons of Lost never did anything that made you decisively know there was something supernatural happening. And right. then toward the end, they introduced this black thing that's like, what? That doesn't really happen. <laughs> so, you know, you know you're, they're always hinting at it, but it could also all be in their heads. And as soon as it becomes real, then it's sci-fi. So I, I, I hesitate to call Lost sci-fi just because the vast majority of it wasn't. I just feel like it ends up being this deus ex machina where they're just bringing it in to save the story because it's so desperately impossible to resolve. They've made it so okay, convoluted good, over the seasons. I would not call Lost sci-fi either. So I'm glad we agree on that finally. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and is buffoonery a category of movies and shows? I made it up. <laughs> oh, but it's got a lot of things that qualify. Yeah. What about yeah. Dallas when um, Bobby wakes up and he's been dreaming the whole time? Exactly. Exactly. That's buffoonery. That's buffoonery. <laughs> Elf, the TV show Elf. Mork and Mindy. I never... Is that all sci-fi? Mork and Mindy's comedy. No. I mean, it, at some point, where the labels I think go to what the what the what genre it's primarily in, not what it's you know it might have yeah. hints of. Right? Yeah. You have to agree like, on that because otherwise, everything is exactly. everything. So it can't just be about space or or Martians or alien life beings to no. qualify. Like sci-fi. just because there's an alien character in the show doesn't make it Correct. a sci-fi. Like Monsters Inc. is not Got science it. fiction for me. And third right. rock from the sun exactly. is not science fiction. Exactly, but equilibrium is comedy and, co- and with the gun katas. Oh, <sighs> I never saw that. What? It's so good. Christian Bale, Tay Diggs. Oh, I've heard of it's it. It's so good. Jim, have you seen that? You see everything. I have not seen it. Okay, Jim, you don't like sci-fi at all, do you? Uh, I would not say that. I'm not particularly necessarily disposed toward it, but for example, Why? well. Let me finish a sentence before I was going to say that, for example, I agree everything that Peggy named the alien aliens, super eight. I liked, except for the very last one, I liked all of the star Wars movies. I have very fond place in my heart for the original star Trek TV series and for some, but not all of the star, some of the star Trek movies were not very good. Some of them were really good. I don't read a lot of science fiction. I've read a few things. I would say that I tend to enjoy science fiction, fantasy, whatever, whatever we're calling these various things. I tend to enjoy them more. I tend to think they are better 
when they are not taking themselves too seriously. I find the ones that are very serious about themselves, and I would say for the most part, I would put most of, for example, the Marvel movies in this category, when they are like too serious about, oh, we have this important message. I don't tend to be a particular fan of any film or book that is trying to say, here's the message we're blasting at you. If the art is good, the message comes through without them, you know, repeating it 10 times. So that's sort of where I am on a lot of science fiction stuff. Back, I would sorry. never have put the Marvel movies as sci-fi. Never Me neither. Mind. Never. Never. They're here. They're superhero films. It's a genre. And this is where I bet to differ. Again, it's difficult for me to keep up with the genres that are being invented, even by John, even as this podcast <laughs> continues. So, uh, yeah. I, I tend to think more. of movies as movies, and I like some of them, and I don't think most of the movies I ever see are that good. Although even the movies that aren't good, there's often something you can take away from it. And I do see a lot of movies. But uh, I would say that uh, I find uh, I find people uh, well not people I find films that take themselves too seriously without really earning that uh, to be not particularly effective pieces of art. Well, there you have it. <laughs> Did and you taking like themselves? That? I just want I just want to parse that out a little bit. <laughs> taking themselves seriously means that the the that the the storyline is serious. In the in uh, that the 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 film is about or the show or the book is about something serious, the topic is serious, the subject or theme, or not, is it none that... of those things, John? Okay, I mean, so what do you mean? Okay, so the emphasis is just too seriously, right? I mean, I enjoy serious dramatic films as much as anyone, but I think that the issue becomes when the filmmakers are self-consciously trying to be serious to the extent that that permeates the film so that the film itself they don't let the film itself speak we're gonna for need itself. an example I'm thinking in terms of film so you didn't well, like the I, matrix I, i'll give you you didn't uh, like the matrix i thought that the first matrix movie was was very clever and entertaining and i thought the second two were Man. kind of as the kids would say they were extra okay we got it we got the story and this is just now you're really going down the rabbit hole but the example i was going to use which i think is the classic is the Dark Knight movies, which I think, you know, okay, yeah, this is a yeah. story about a guy running around dressed yeah. up in a cape, and yeah. I'm supposed to get all hot and bothered, like this is revealing the true meaning of life or something. I'm and, with you on this, okay, Jim. It's I'm a totally story. With it doesn't you. mean you can't draw conclusions. It doesn't mean, it doesn't, look, uh, the Twilight Zone right uh which uh, nikki referenced the 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 classic twilight zone were these little vignettes which often had very profound meaning to them even uh you know eye of the beholder is an example but they didn't pretend that they were uh you know they didn't try to blast that through to people they let the meaning be revealed through the story itself and not you know, like, hey, we have an important story to tell. This is really going to change your life. To some extent, I feel like, and, and I know you're not counting superhero movies as science fiction, but I'm going to say for these purposes, I'm going to lump them in, which is to say, I think that to some extent, the fact that movie, there is a, a certain cultishness of movies that is for business purposes is, you know, is, 
used as a way of elevating these to try to increase the commercial value of them. Again, strictly speaking, that it's got nothing to do with the art, but I think it ends up permeating the art in a lot of respects. See, and I beg to differ. Here, here I go in search of this argument. I thought we are in search of an argument after I, um, Chris Nolan did the Dark Knight series, and I loved Memento. Could not stand Inception. I thought Inception was his trying too hard and being gimmicky. And the Dark Knight series, I signed on because it was entertaining and I love the Batman comic books and it dealt with the darker side to all of the characters that I grew up with. So I didn't think he... Did you like the guy with the muzzle over his Bane? face? Are you kidding me? He was like, me? Oh, he was incredible. Bane. Yeah. He was incredible. First of all, that oh, actor. Oh my God. So if you don't... Why the muzzle? It's the whole fear thing. Why is the Joker, you know, in Arkham Asylum, like high off of his own juice and everyone runs around looking all cray. What did you think of Westworld I on thought, HBO? Since that's Chris Nolan as well. No, it's not. It's his brother. Didn't he do that? <laughs> oh God, it's a Nolan. I didn't even know. It's, it's his, his brother. brother. If I can if I can interject, Nikki, for the record, I disagree with you about Inception, but I do think Memento's a great movie and it and I oh, would put that's it with, him too? Yes, that's Christopher Nolan, I that and movie. I would put that with Dunkirk as the two best movies that he's ever done, in my opinion. I did not see Dunkirk. Um, Inception, it was yeah. it was a gimmick. The whole thing was a gimmick. I it was a I thought it worked. I but, figured it you know, out I within the first saying, two and seconds, I, and I was annoyed because I was like, everyone's going to be like, "Oh my god, this is so great! This is so smart." You have the same problem I have when you go when People I go see hate a therapist. A movie you're with smarter me. than you're smarter <laughs> than the filmmaker, and that doesn't exactly. They hate seeing movies with me because I'm looking for the holes. But Memento, I thought Such was a, a great, great movie. movie, and underappreciated, and not it's not been seen by enough people. But it's a great, uh, movie. you know. I feel like we have a thread we're leaving, which is that Shelly has not given us our, her quick list of sci-fi bests. Just I want to get before we move on, because I don't want to lose that thread. Shelly, what's your list? Oh, okay. So my number one favorite is Gattaca. Yes! Because it's science, because it's about genetics also. But yep. I just loved yep. it. I just thought it was interesting. And it, and it made me Yeah, and it made me angry. And I just liked it. My second one was Matrix 1, not yep. the other ones. I liked the movie Signs by M. Night Shyamalan. Wow. Uh, Total Recall. And then my last one is Westworld, yeah, but the Total Yule Recall. Brenner version. Oh. oh, wow. Super old. Wow. Yeah. Classic. So that's why I needed a definition before I was able to formulate. Well, because my... I, I was, I'm pausing with the M. Was it which is Science. the one you said? Was it M. Night Shyamalan? Signs. Signs. I don't know if I saw that one, but I is that fantasy in my definition? I Who's saw signs. Is anybody else seen um, that? Mel Gibson's is in it. The Mel aliens. I mean, it's aliens from outer yeah. space. So I don't know. Oh, what does yeah. that make it there, John? Yeah. You probably have a new category for that, too. Yeah. It's, <laughs> no, it's, it's space usually sci fi. Yeah. I'd be a little sci fi. Well, maybe I should ask you guys this since we're talking about genres so much. I, do you guys think it'd be better if there were no genres? If on the back of a book, it never said drama. And you never knew whether on the Hallmark <laughs> Channel you were going to get romantic comedy. You never ever had a sh- on Netflix. You could never break it down by genres. Would it better if there were just shows, no genres? That's impossible. I think so. I know it's impossible, but I think so because when someone says sci-fi to me, I'm like, I don't want to watch that. But 
I as a genre, but when we talk about the movies you've mentioned, the movies I just listed, I really like them. Probably not all of them, but to talk about the genre first initially turns me off, right or wrong. Nikki, so, as a writer, so John, how do you feel about you, that? I mean, I mean, do you want before, do you like when your writing is said? I mean, what, what what's your genre? John, can I ask you to <laughs> yeah. clarify your question? Do you mean in what sense would it be better? Would it improve the art? Or would it improve well, the marketing? I, in my experience, the all the writers that I have spoken to hate being reduced to a genre. Sure. When they write a book, or they write a story, or they write a play, and then they get it published, and then the the publisher insists that on the back of the book it has a little thing in the upper left hand corner that says drama, or you know, right. or critical fiction. I don't know, whatever, or comedy that they find that re- reductive, and they don't like that. Yeah, 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 it is reductive, and I would submit to you the author is trying to create a work of art, right? Which is their job or their passion or whatever. And the publisher, their job is to sell books or sell movies. And genres are marketing tools, right? I mean, in other words, the idea is if you liked X, this is like X, so buy this. And that's where genres come from, right? It's not, I, I think you're, you're probably right. I'm not an artist, but you're probably right that artists don't think of their art in terms of genres, but in terms of a business practice, that's what it is. That's my view, anyway. I buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, Nikki, when you've, I mean, what genre would you want published on the back of your work? I, I mean, I write everything. So, but my right. I know, but you got to pick a my word. My pension is dramedy. <laughs> that's, that's my point. I'm dramedy. I'm dark. Right. Dark okay. drama comedy. That's like where I gravitate to. Yeah. That's my that's my safe space. Well, that's a, okay. So the a perfect dramedy that I've been watching lately that I just stopped watching because I can't finish it is Ozark I on Netflix. That. It's a dramedy, which. Well, I started watching it and then I just, it's got so crazy and I can't believe I didn't even notice the genre. I started watching it because Shelly recommended it and then I started watching it and now, and, and I liked it for a while. And then I was like, and then it just got so dark. And then I saw the genre. It's a dark comedy. I'm like, there's nothing comedic mm-hmm. about this. I mean, if it's comedic, it's like, because it's so horrifyingly terrible what's happening. I mean, it's uh, like the genres, if I had seen that, I would have been felt really let down. Like I don't, the genres for me are a disappointment. So Jim, to answer your question, whether I think it's about whether it's for the consumer of entertainment or for the producer or for the business of it, I don't guess I, I, I get, I guess I was focusing at that when I was asking you guys, if it would be better if there were no genres. I mean, the, I'm picturing you going onto Netflix and just having to pick based on the show, based on a summary, maybe of the plot theme setting character, but not based on a label of a genre. Cause Netflix, every show you will notice on Netflix, if you go on Netflix, they have the genre prominently yeah. placed. And I pay no attention to that. And John, I don't pay any attention to what Netflix recommends for me or any of that right. stuff. Right, right. That's what they're doing. They're feeding you more of whatever genre yeah, you ignore. like. No one is under any obligation to pay attention to it. We are all sentient beings. We are able to make our own choices and decisions. I don't know if that's true. I think that's why Netflix is making a lot of money because they're feeding people more of what Netflix they've already is making watched. making a lot of money because they have shows that people want to see. And they that i.e. they're telling that they're seeing, oh, you watched Dune, you must like, and then they're feeding you more of the marketing. Same. But John, let me go back to your point about Ozark for a second. Alfred Hitchcock, who is both a great filmmaker and also 
very skilled at marketing his own work. He felt the movie Psycho, the movie that he did, was in some respects a very, very dark comedy. He felt that it was his joke on the audience. Well, what do you guys think of Psycho? You've all seen Psycho. What do you think? What genre is Psycho in? I mean, horror. Horror. I would say horror, thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I get it. I understand. I think you can play with genre as a creator or as a consumer. You can play with genre, but it just, it doesn't come close to helping us get where we want to be. And for, so for, uh, so I'll just show my hand a little bit about the genre thing. For me, it's where like, is it we I want know the to genres be, are, John. you can't, what? You said it doesn't help us get close to where we want to be. Where right, do we where want we to be? be is, where we want to be is the opposite of what Netflix is doing. If I watch a show that's really – I want to see the best sci-fi thing, but then I want to see the best dramedy thing. Then I want to see the best comedy thing. Then I want to see – I don't want to see more of the same, and everything out there is pushing me toward the same stuff. John, what is preventing you from doing that right now? The way that we are being fed entertainment – through Facebook, through our friends, through the way we're all going deeper into our bubbles is making it less likely that we're going to push ourselves and see something that's out of our comfort zone. That's something that's not I in disagree. a I think that just depends on the kind of person is, you are. This is such myopia, yeah. Like I my watch friend. Korean melodramas yes. all the time. Chinese melodramas all the time. Art house films all the time. I'm a member of like I'm a charter member of the Criterion channel. So Netflix isn't going to tell me what I'm I mean, going to watch. Think, think about John. And, and again, I, I don't know anything about the internal workings of Netflix. And I don't know whether the people that run it are good people or bad people or whatever. But look, 20 years ago or 40 years ago, if you're not, if you don't maybe live in a major city and you don't have a lot of access to obscure film and stuff like that, you have a very limited choice of things to watch. You're being fed what to watch by three main networks in the United States of America. And in other countries, maybe they have a few more, but maybe they don't. So what has happened since then now is you have a lot more choices to watch. It doesn't mean that there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's a lot of bad stuff, but there is some good stuff. If you have a subscription to Netflix, you have this menu of things. Is there a lot of Worthless stuff on Netflix? Absolutely. But there's good stuff, and you can have any of it you want, right? And so if maybe somebody goes on there to get, like, the most popular thing, you know, they want to see Stranger Things or something, and so they've got this subscription, and they've seen Stranger Things, and now they start looking, what else can I watch on there? And the idea that people are automatons and can't, you know, and, and can only reflexively pick something in the same category... I don't know that that's borne out by anything other than your suspicion that other people aren't, you know, aren't smart enough to uh, to to choose for themselves. I, I'm wondering the last f- book you read, each of you read the last thing you watched. How did it come to your attention? I'm betting in most cases it was from a ref- a recommendation of a friend. Not and we talked me. about this a little bit before with social media, that that's how people are getting their news. It's also how people are getting their entertainment. 
most of us, and that's always been true. Jim, I've always, I've read almost every book you've recommended for me. I read that's most great. of my, a, a significant portion of my reading is are books that Jim Gentilly has recommended for me to read. I mean, that's how I get, that's how I get, I get my stuff. And that's how we, a lot of us get, <laughs> that's a lot of us, a lot of us get the, a lot of us get these things. I mean, I made, I, when, when Nikki is talking, I take copious notes of things she's referencing. I can't keep up with her because she rattles them <laughs> off too quickly, but I try, but I take notes and then I'm, and I go, I go back and look Could at them. Could you speak a little more slowly for John's benefit in the future going forward? Well, he can pause and rewind on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I literally end up doing. But uh, but curation is important, and I and most of what we what we get is curated. I still believe most, even though Netflix is giving us an algorithm that's like, oh, you watch a sci-fi. Here's 20 more sci-fis you might like. I don't. I think that's reductive, and I don't think that's how most people do it. But I do think some people. I think a significant portion of them do it because that's their business model, and they're making a lot of money. But I also think Jim, the majority, and I think Nikki for us. I think for our in our bubble, I think the vast majority of people are getting it from recommendations from their friends. And I do think that we, uh, us, the, those of us who are listening to this podcast and doing this podcast, we're in a little bubble and we kind of are willing to go beyond, push ourselves beyond. I think that's something we we enjoy doing is we like being having like, you know, having a friend come to us and say, you should read this book, even though it's not it might be a little different for you, but you should read it as opposed to and I love my mother. As opposed to my mother just yesterday was saying, you know, I was watching this show on Amazon Prime. And you know how Amazon Prime, before they they start the shows, they have those little ads and trailers for other shows on Amazon Prime. I've noticed that Amazon Prime has a lot of science fiction. Why can't people, why do they have so much science fiction? Why can't they just write good stories about things that are real? And she has a bias, <laughs> a very strong bias in favor of she loves murder mysteries and revenge stories. That's my mom. But it's like, I do think most people have our, they like their bubbles. We like the stories we like. We like the kind of writing we like. We end up going to, we do end up gravitating toward things that we've all, that if we relax, we gravitate to things that are kind of easy and within our kind of interest group. So this all makes me think that what I really want to see is the podcast episode where we have John's mom and Shelly's mom and Peggy's mom on as guests. <laughs> or for that matter, we'll just have them on instead of the three of you. That would be fine, too. All right. So since we talked about superhero, DC or Marvel? Nikki? Marvel, hands down. All right, Jim? Uh, if given the choice, I'd write in something else. <laughs> oh, see, Jim. See, Jim. You know why I mentioned this? Because I. All right, I'm going to come back to this. Shelly, DC or Marvel? It's still a free country, right? I can still vote for somebody else if I don't like the I choices. Don't, I don't um, pigeonhole them between the all right, two. Fine, I go whatever. back and Peggy, forth. Peggy, DC or Marvel? <laughs> Didn't like my answer. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know which one is which. DC is Wonder Woman, Batman, Aquaman, Superman. And Marvel is Black Panther, right. X-Men, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, Avengers. DC. I'm DC. I liked Wonder I Woman. Did, I did like Wonder Woman. But I also liked X-Men. I liked Wonder yeah. Woman too, but by far the best superhero movie I've seen in the last 10 years Hands is uh, Black Panther. Yeah, that was great. Yes. And that's Marvel. 
Yeah, I know. That's why I didn't want to be. <laughs> so the reason I bring this up, Jim, see, is... see, you know, it's so funny. You complain about Netflix and genres and everything, and you yourself are more obsessed by these categories than anyone else I know. Well, of course, yes, yeah, yeah. I'm a walking contradiction. Well, Jim, don't be obsessed the reason, by him if you find Jim, him the reason, Jim, the reason I bring it up is because it's. I was trying to support your argument about serious and non-serious science fiction. I would argue that DC, all the DC films, take themselves very seriously. I think I don't the Dark Knight isn't wasn't a is is DC Batman is DC Batman's a DC character he was not a Marvel uh, a Marvel comic book so Batman Batman you as is is your your definition of the most serious taking itself character uh all the Marvels all the Marvel films, yes. especially Guardians of the Galaxy, but a whole bunch of them, they're camp. all self-reflexively, yeah. they have a little humor in them. They're camp almost, exactly, but they're much less serious. Oh, categorically. I mean, Stan Lee has a cameo in every single one. And I look like, I'm like, one where's my Stan Lee yeah. Easter egg? God rest his soul. Yep. Final thoughts, Nikki and John, before we move to recommendations. <laughs> I talked too much. Sorry, guys. I got oh, excited about this God. episode. I didn't expect this to be was into clearly, it. I was into it. This was clearly an episode that was very close to your heart. I you didn't spoke, know it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a dumb eloquently, one. <laughs> and Nikki, Nikki was very good at sort of puncturing your your superciliousness. I thought at times. So anyway, <laughs> Nikki, last thoughts before we do recommendations. None. My mind is a blank slate. Fear is the mind killer. That's my last thought. It's a good. Dune quote. Fear is the mind killer. <laughs> All right. Recommendations. Who would like to start? I'm going to go. I'm going to reserve the privilege of going last. No, Jim, so I want Jim to go first. Jim, I've had a request from three guests. I have had a request from three listeners that no. Jim not go last because it's because a couple it people have said that it's everything. condescending and that it's a little bit that it's that it's okay. like overly serious that Jim okay, always gets well, to go last. This, with is the an, extra this is an overly serious recommendation. Well, then that's a, then you go first and we'll give a We'll leave a pregnant pause after you go. All right. Then try to let me finish. If you want to ask questions at the end, ask questions at the end. Okay. So this podcast that we are recording is scheduled to be posted on Saturday, August 1st. And at the time of the posting of this episode, it will be slightly over two weeks since the death of the iconic Congressman John Lewis. The words icon and legend and great are way overused in our culture, maybe in everybody's culture, but they apply without any exaggeration to the life of John Lewis. He was born in rural poverty, the child of sharecroppers. He became a protege of Dr. Martin Luther King while he was still a teenager. He was a founder of one of the important civil rights organizations of the early 1960s, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. At 23 years old, John Lewis was one of the speakers at the March on Washington in the same place, the same event where Martin Luther King gave his legendary I Have a Dream speech. And John Lewis's speech had to be censored because John Lewis, being the young, what would pass for a radical in those days, was critical of the Civil Rights Act that the Kennedy administration was pushing in, which, of course, Martin Luther King and A. Philip Randolph and Bayard Rustin and Roy Wilkins were so desperately trying to help get passed. And so he had to have his speech censured at the time. In 1986, he became a congressman from Georgia. He served for 34 years in the House of Representatives. He was a respected and beloved figure 
on both sides of the aisle by many, many conservatives with whom he profoundly disagreed. What has this got to do with a recommendation? I'll tell you what it's got to do with a recommendation. In a story on the event of his death, the New York Times reported that Michael Hardaway, who's a an aide to Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, had a conversation with John Lewis last year, and they were lamenting the state of affairs under the Trump administration and about the state of social injustice in the United States. And what John Lewis said to Michael Hardaway, according to Michael Hardaway on that occasion, was that he wasn't worried about it. And he said this, be hopeful, be optimistic, be brave. So my recommendation is for all of us to take to heart the words of John Lewis, be hopeful, be optimistic, be brave. Mr. John Lewis and Mr. C.T. Vivian died on the same day, which I think is, you know, God welcoming and two warriors to hang out with Dr. King. So I, I do think that should be noted also. What, wait, what are we supposed to be doing? Is this supposed to be an uplifting moment? A recommendation. Recommendations. Yes. <laughs> Get some fresh air. <laughs> I can't believe we haven't hit eat your veggies right? yet as a recommendation. Right? Let's eat so your veggies. Obvious. My yeah, recommendation, that and this is Good going one. back, Peggy Bennett will remember this, which I laughed at it when like, we first said it. Is it kind? <laughs> is it necessary? And now I do often think about like your actions. Like, is it kind? Are you being kind? People, be kind. That's my recommendation. So think of that before you speak or act. Yeah, unless you're talking to like one of your friends and then all bets are off. (laughs) Do you want that included in the recommendation? Okay, I'm going to go. All bets are (laughs) off. People who know me know that nice is not the word that pops up when you think about me as a descriptor. But people who also know me know that kind (laughs) can be in there. I'm an enigma wrapped in a question with fuzzy legs. You're kind. <laughs> God, no. Is that Woody Allen? Who is that quote? Don't think we want to open up that can of worms. Who's next? I'll go. I bet you can guess mine. Anybody want to try? No. Beaver Island. Nobody? Yes. Go to Beaver Island. Really? Yeah. Except Why? I, I, maybe not because I don't want people to go there because I don't want people to discover and it. And in the vast listening audience of this podcast, it will overflow. Beaver right. Exactly. All sure, four maybe. of our listeners. The why do you, should people go there, Peg? That might that might stress it if all four of our listeners started going. <laughs> I promise, Peg, I won't go. So the uh, I I heard um, when Peggy went to Beaver Island, I was talking to my mother about it, and I said, and she said, "Oh, Beaver Island." She knew somebody who knew somebody who had been there and had a property there or something. So I said, "Oh, mom," I said, "We should go." I said, "Put in just put in Google Maps from our home in Chicago area to her home in Chicago area to Beaver Island and see what comes up." And it said no way to get there. And my mom was endlessly entertained. By the fact that it said there's no way to get there in Google Maps, uh, and I and then I started. Wow. Can you take the ferry from Charlevoix? And she said, Yeah, yeah, I can take the the ferry from Charlevoix. But I said, Can you take the ferry from Wisconsin or from Illinois? And she's like, I don't think so. And I'm thinking, Why would they not allow you to take the, you know, the ferry from from Illinois? But it looks like Google Maps is of no help. So I don't know if if, if you have to go through Charlevoix. 
Yeah, the ferry only goes to and from Charlevoix, so you can um, one ferry. You can fly. They have a couple ferries. They have two: a big one and a small John, one. John, are you just trying to stall for time while you think of a recommendation here, or what's going on? No, I have a recommendation. I just, I just right, really am interested in Charlevoix. My recommendation is actually the, a book. I'm doing, I'm doing a very traditional, uh, a traditional recommendation. I just finished a book called "The Hidden History of Burma." By Thant Mint Yu. It ter- he is a, I, I'm interested in it for a bunch of reasons, just probably mostly because I've been living in China and, uh, and, and, and Myanmar uh, is right next door. I then heard a podcast uh, that where he was interviewed, and, and this is his new book. You know, the B- Myanmar, which this guy chooses to call Burma, is so interesting to me. And it, because, it, because the head of states, uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, was kind of went from being a Nobel Prize winner for peace to being a genocidal leader of a, of a, of a militant country that's destroyed, where a bunch of Buddhists are murdering Muslims. Um, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's, a, that's an oversimplified uh, uh, explanation of what he in the book lays out in great detail. He's not a great writer, um, but he's the, he's the grandson of the former uh, United Nations uh, Secretary General, whose name I can't remember, but um, I assume the same name. I think Thant is his, or Mint Yu is the same name, or Thant. Uh, I forget which. But the book is really good. It goes over the economics and of and and the politics and uh, of of a country that's just struggling to deal with diversity at a level that, like, I think probably today makes the U.S. seem homogenous. And it, it was and it, it's it's fascinating to kind of I don't know connect to see the connection between you know peace, war, social media. Uh, the power of Facebook in in lesser developed countries is unbelievable. Uh, the, the The book was really good. So if you uh, if you're if you're into kind of modern nonfiction narrative uh, and with a with a quasi biographical bent, I would I highly recommend the book. Shelley, uh, my recommendation this week is to do or buy something that makes you feel younger, rejuvenated, and makes you happy. So I bought a new car this week and I feel like a million bucks and it sounds stupid and materialistic, but it's my reality. Creature comforts, man. Nothing wrong with them. Yeah. Unless they're coming to category supplied by Netflix. Take us home, Shelly. (laughs) Did we get everybody's recommendations that fast? I know. Is it quick? Yes. Okay. Jim keeps us moving. Jim's good at being disciplined. He is. He's he's Except very good at that. To Keeping eating, to the agenda. But that's another story. It's another podcast episode. That's all the time we have this week. And as always, we want to thank you, our listeners. <laughs> but most of all, we love and want to thank our returning special guest, Nikki Briggs-Sela, and her wonderful insights on our sci-fi conversation and other topics today. Thanks to Ted Ealing for our music. If you like our podcast, it would really help us if you would rate us in iTunes. You could also write a review. We absolutely love comments, voice memos, any questions, complaints, suggestions. Please do that. You can also tweet us at Two Guys in Search. That's not, is that right? It's not Two Guys in Search. In Search of an Argument. Yeah, in search of an argument. <laughs> I, I'm stuck with the old way for some reason. You can send us those messages, as I said, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us on Spotify. You can also hit the link at the end of our 
episode. You can tell Siri, Alexa, or anybody else to play our podcast and subscribe that way. And we look forward to speaking to you. <laughs> or anybody a- else. Or any- <laughs> anybody else can sign you up. <laughs> any of those tens of listeners. We look forward to speaking to you soon and having tantalizing discussions and conversations. Take care.